Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bazzara. I'm your host. And everyone who listens in, please share what we're doing here. Share the podcast if you like what we're doing. We don't take any sponsorship or advertisements. And the people that come on to share their stories, the entrepreneurs, they don't get anything either. They're just coming on here to share their stories. So please share it. That's all we ask is help them out, help us out, spread the love so people can learn and grow from their stories. Today I have with us Carrie Meyer and Jason Jewett, the founders and owners of Locomotion Food Truck. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. I'm doing great. And um, how we came across these guys is we were actually in Atlanta at a food truck commissary and met them. And of course, being the podcasters that Deborah and I are asked on to be on the podcast. So I've seen their their location and I haven't actually seen their food truck because the day we were there it was getting some service done so that's something I've still got to do yet but tell us a little bit about how you guys came together and your stories and what made you want to start a food truck in Atlanta well and uh, initially it wasn't going to be in Atlanta. I was living in Charleston and had started working at some low country farm to table style restaurants and that genre, that style of cooking really changed the way that I wanted to go in the food industry. And at that point I was tired of working for other people and helping other people open their businesses. So a couple of friends of mine and I got together and we decided to open Locomotion. We came up with the name and concept and when it came time to pull the trigger, they panicked and backed out. So I moved home to Atlanta and Jason, who's my brother-in-law, suggested that we do it here. And initially I said, absolutely not, because driving around Atlanta is awful in a car. So why, <laughs> why try it in a 28-foot truck? Um, but it was it was kind of something that I couldn't say no to, you know. It was it was something that I had already wanted to do for so long, and and he and I were both at the times in our careers where we had the time and the space to try. And so once once we decided, it happened very fast. But it it came about from just the right place and the right time, I think. And so um, I'm going to ask Jason the same question, but first on that, I just, I mean, so tell us a little more about that background. Had you always been in restaurants and, and what's your background in, in terms of food experience and things like that, Carrie? I started when I was 16 at a little family owned pizza place outside of Birmingham. Uh, and I've been in and out of food for my entire life. So 23 years now, done everything from serving, bartending, managing, cooking, all different kinds of things and all different styles of food. But when I hit the, you know, we make everything from scratch. We do all of our sauces. We make bread. We butcher fish. That, once I got to that place, I couldn't go back to anything else. And, and okay, so Jason, have, do you have food service background as well? as Or Carrie came to you and said, let's start a food truck. And you're like, okay, I'm giving up my job and I'm going to jump right into this thing. Uh, yeah, I actually have food service as well. I started in the food business probably when I was 16, you know, started at bus and tables and I've moved through different areas of the restaurant. I actually got a culinary arts degree, uh, probably within the 
restaurant business for about 15 years. Um, I, I took a very long pause from the restaurant scene and went into banking. Uh, was a branch manager. I got a BS in uh, financing and banking, um, but at the end of that, I just I couldn't do the the corporate life anymore. So I was in that kind of realm where I needed to try to find what I really was passionate about. And then that came into the right time with Carrie moving back to Atlanta and us discussing the food truck and, you know, how we can actually utilize both expertise in the field to make something just be great. You know, put both of our passions into it. I'm good with numbers. I'm good with a lot of different areas. We, between Carrie and I, we balance ourselves very well. Uh, she's phenomenal in social media, you know, working with different organizations to kind of get our name out there in the truck. Um, I'm good on the maintenance and the financing and all the other background things that, that needs to happen within the truck. So, you know, it kind of helps relieve a lot of stress between, you know, with running a food truck uh, in general. So it was just, you know, it was just being in the right place at the right time. And I mean, I have to assume that, you know, just sort of jokingly, but in seriousness in some ways, is that you weren't like, oh my gosh, you may be related to my sister, but I don't want to work with you and vice versa. My sister may choose you, but I don't choose you type thing. Well, fortunately enough, uh, when I was in the restaurant field, uh, she was my employee back when we worked together in an actual restaurant. So we had working relationships before we even started the food truck, like decades before. And and my family made sure, the rest of my family and some of my friends made sure to bring that up when, before we had actually said yes and knew that we were going to do it. You know, a lot of people advise that you don't go into business with family. But like he said, I, I knew him from a business standpoint already and just knew the kind of person that he was. So it ended up not being, not being something that we needed to consider an issue. No, that's awesome. And I think that's great. And being able to work with family and, um, this is definitely a newer dynamic. We haven't had any sister-in-law, brother-in-law, uh, food entrepreneur dynamic duos yet. So I'm definitely interested in hearing more about it. But so when you came up with the concept in Charleston from when you guys actually launched the food truck, how, how long went by before that happened? I'd say from, from the day I decided that I really wanted to until she arrived here in Atlanta was a little over three years. But once, once I was here and Jason approached me with it and we decided, yes, it was 90 days. Oh, wow. So, so once you decided to work together, you guys executed that pretty quickly, which obviously is, is showing why there's six, some success there and why you've had success because... Um, you both kind of jumped in and, and worked with each other before, but mostly like a 90 day turnaround is pretty impressive for people to work through as partners and get things done. Yeah. Our, our biggest thing was actually finding the builder and finding the commissary. So two biggest things I had already set up social media accounts. My brother is our graphic designer. He had already worked with us 
on the logo and had started on the wrap design for us. So it was literally, you know, let's put the money together. Let's decide who we want to do our build out and how fast can they get here? And it was, it was real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I have to, I have to say I've, uh, I've built some food trailers in, in my life and, uh, and uh, used them for demonstrations and stuff like that. And that turnaround and getting that all done, that's impressive. I, I have not had that type of, type of success myself. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more about that for sure. But I want to go back for a second. So what are your social media tags and websites so the audience or people that are listening in can find you guys? Uh, the, I'd say the four tags that we use most, most often kind of in every post that I do is our, our social media handle, which is locomotion ATL. There's a W in locomotion. And then just, you know, things that help us get found around our city and by the genre of people that we want to attract. So hashtag food truck, hashtag Atlanta catering, uh, eat fresh, eat local is a bunch of things that, you know, will come up with a lot of good results on Instagram and uh, the tagline for our truck is actually fresh local food. So we use that a lot in the beginning, but it wasn't something that a lot of people widely knew. And when I started taking the social media and marketing classes, I went back to things that had a wider following and a wider range of appeal. And so, so my next question up being the obvious one, I think is how did you come up with the name locomotion and, and what does it mean to you guys in terms of naming your truck that and, and the food that you guys produce or cook or serve, however you want to look at it? Technically loco L O W C O is short for low country, which is that, that style of cooking that kind of births the farm to table movement. Um, when people think of, Low country cooking, they think, you know, shrimp and grits, uh, fried pickles, pimento cheese, stuff like that. But it, it's not even real low country cooking is not even really a flavor profile. It's the practice of using what's in front of you at that time. What can you make with what you have right now? And then because it was a truck and it was on wheels, it just kind of turned into tongue in cheek. You know, the locomotion people automatically associated it with something on wheels and they, they drop the W a lot uh, when other people are trying to spell our name and what have you, but it's it's a throwback to my Charleston roots and, and where I fell in love with this style of cooking. Yeah, it's amazing. And, I you know, a lot of things went through my head, actually. The locomotion, the song, obviously, and then a, a, a train and a railroad, but I didn't even think about it. it was a style of cooking. So I really like how you guys tied that in there and played on words. I think that's extremely creative. So we talked about the style of cooking. So tell me about how you guys developed your recipes, how you came up with your menu items, what you guys serve, what are your menu items. And, and I assume they change from time to time if you're, you're going locally, but I'm not sure. And, you know, what are your most popular items? Um, good question. The, the items that we serve is a, a, a BLT, a grilled cheese. Um, we also do a brisket with pimento cheese. We look at things that are, um, that we can make ourselves because we don't have anything that are, that has any preservatives. So if we can't make it, then we don't serve it type you know, that's, that's the way we actually 
you know, work the menu and everything. As far as like what we serve, we just kind of, you know, did the things that we liked and a lot of people had the same thoughts on it. Like our BLT, which is a zucchini bacon with a garlic aioli and lettuce and tomato, everything being fresh, things that we can get from the farms um, or get things locally. That's kind of how we were able to generate the menu that we actually have. Now, our menu does change with the season. So, again, it just depends on what is actually truly available at that moment. That will actually dictate what kind of menu we're actually going to be serving at that time. And we had we had menu tasting parties, of course. Once once you're serving food for people's opinion, you have no shortage of volunteers to come, you know, to a party and eat. And we had neighbors come over. We did, I think, eleven or twelve grilled cheese recipes oh, yeah. before we settled on the one that we started with is not the one that we have now. And you know, the the BLT and the chicken sandwich and the grilled cheese, it was all it all started out to a degree as just classic American comfort foods. And then because we wanted to make everything from scratch, we wanted to make our condiments from scratch. We wanted to source our bread locally. We just kept tweaking things until it was something that you would recognize on a normal menu with a, a little gourmet twist or a little, you know, made from scratch twist so that it was an approachable menu, but still a little something that people may not have tried before or heard of before. I love that, actually, and I love the concept, and I love that you guys are constantly looking for things and, and changing things. How long have you guys actually launched the food truck in Atlanta? We're in our third year. Um, we actually received the truck in September of 2016. So we're, we're starting our third season. September will be our three-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I think that's amazing that you already have that much experience under your belt. And that's, and that's kind of, I was talking to a couple of friends this weekend. It's kind of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The Once, once you're into your third season, you're doing well. You know, they yep. say 60 to 70% of small business goes out in the first year and food trucks, even if they make it through their first year, don't necessarily have the same scheme going into their second year. And we're, I mean, we're three weeks into March right now and we're already booked through June. And so, uh, you know, and to just sort of go back before I ask that question, what are each of your favorite things that you've served the last three years? If you could pick one item each, what would it be that you guys have served out of your food truck that you guys thought was the best thing you guys served? Mine has, from day, from day one, mine has been the BLT. It's, I mean, it's the best BLT I've ever had. And I've gone and had BLTs other places since just because I really like it as a sandwich. And I'm always frustrated. <laughs> uh, for me, it probably has to be the brisket. Um, because we we take the whole brisket, we dry roast it. And then we shred it by hand. We remove as, at least 95% of the fat back that, that's on there. And then we braise it for another couple of hours with a bourbon and brown sugar braising. So it's a labor of love for me on the, on the brisket piece of it. And then we hand make the pimento by 
roasting the peppers, mixing in the, the cheese and the spices and the seasonings and stuff like that. So, and then Carrie does a wonderful dill pickle that goes with it that just, just melts in your mouth. And that's the reason why we call it the hot mess because literally you need a lot of napkins for it. <laughs> I love that actually. I love, I'm a huge sandwich fan of any sort. But um, when it's really messy and all over the place, like really good burgers to me have really lots of messy topics to fall all over the place so I can eat it with a fork later. So I'm drooling, actually. I'm I'm like, I need to try this beef brisket sandwich. So the hot mess uh, for anyone who's out there. So, okay. So, for example, so how... Do you change things if you have catering events? Do people request certain things also? So how do you adjust for that? Or it's just like someone contacts you and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to do for you guys. Or do people actually come and request things also if they um, sort of book you for an event? It's kind of everything that you just said. I'd say maybe maybe 15% of catering requests want what's actually on our normal vending menu. And those are, you know, of course, the easiest ones to say yes to. We can book one of those after another event and just know that we have the same product and the same prep uh, to make sure that all of that happens. And then, you know, weddings, obviously, you want to custom make a menu for the bride and any kind of dietary restrictions they might have. Uh, we're, we're usually contacted for weddings that kind of follow our theme and have a little bit more rustic approach to them and a little bit of maybe they're having the wedding on a farm or they want to do all wooden sharing plates and the tables and, and we'll adjust to that. Absolutely. The, uh, I think the, <laughs> the Achilles heel of our catering menu is that neither of us really bake and everybody wants a sweet option. And I always say yes. And I always, <laughs> I always let them kind of tell us what we need. And then when it comes time to prep that and get that ready for the catering, I'm just in full panic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I can see that actually. It's like we do a lot of food production, but we don't actually bake in our company at all because it's just one of those things where we steer away from um, as a, as a big company. We're like, Oh, we don't want to bake, like have someone else do the bake. No one wants to do the baking. And it's just one of those things because following a recipe is is takes skill but like i feel like baking is is actually a science and it's like it's pretty intense in terms of of getting things right and many more things can go wrong than just following a recipe too much salt too much butter is okay in recipes sometimes but in baking that things can go really bad really quickly so and in baking, you don't know if you completely, you know, screwed the pooch until the end. <laughs> if if I'm making a soup from scratch and I taste it along the way, I can adjust and do things like that. But like you said, you know, a lot of the sweets and baking in general is science. And once you've added too much of something or too little of something, you have to completely toss it out and start again. Uh, and yeah. I, I don't have that patience. No, <laughs> and the law, food loss there, I totally understand. That's just money down the tubes. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, I had a question. I was, my mind's going two different directions, but how much prep time, let's say you, you get ready for the truck every day. How much prep do you have to do? You mentioned making your own condiments and making everything from scratch. So how much prep time versus how much service time do you have? Is it more service time to, to 
prep time or is it more prep time to service time? And sort of how do you guys manage that? And do you both work on the truck at the same time or both prep? So give me an idea how you guys work that through and do you have employees that help? And so how does that all work on your, give me any given day and how you guys go through that process? That is a great question. And that's actually a a science to it and being able to know, okay, if I go to, you know, let's just use 12th and P street here in Atlanta. I mean, we'll, we'll go there, but we'll determine, okay. So if we do, you know, let's say a hundred, a hundred tickets, you know, we got to understand, okay, we got to, we have to bring, you know, 15 pounds of brisket. After a while, you kind of understand that how much product actually needs to be brought per day. Um, you could really break it down um, and go, okay, well, if I need 15 servings, how many ounces is that? And then you multiply that by how many servings you're going to do for the day. And then you just add 10 or 15% for that just to kind of give a buffer just in case you do more than 100 or, you know, your your portioning is not correct and you do a little over-portioning. It, it really is a, is a hard science to try to figure out for any individual to, to, to do. We've done events where we've gone in and we've either over, over prepped or under prepped. And it, for, for us, it's not just, you know, making sure that we have the right amount. It's kind of hard to calculate our prepping hours because we make our dry reps for our meat. We make our condiments. We, I make all of the broth for all of our soups. And so while I can, once all that is done, and I may do all of that on a Sunday when we don't have anything to do as far as the truck being live. So once we get in there to actually prep, there's probably another three or four hours that's already gone into it just to make sure that we have the things that we need to get ready for that actual day. So I'd say, you know, low ballpark, it's 48 hours of prep for a three to five hour event. Oh, wow. And so do you do all that prep at your commissary in the kitchen that's in your guys' commissary, or is it some stuff you can mix dry rubs and stuff at home? How does all that work? We cannot do anything at home. Everything has to be done at our DHAC inspectable kitchen. Um, The only thing that we really source out is our bread, but it's a local company that makes it. And thank goodness now we've gotten a company that delivers because that was madness in the first year. And so they, they take that off of our plate, which honestly freed up a lot of our times. And we're to the point now as well that we're ordering so much from our farms that they're delivering which is helping us out. So we do have more time to just spend at the kitchen. In in the very beginning, I was leaving Jason at the kitchen for four and five hours each morning while I ran to all the farms and picked up all the things and picked up the bread and went down to the market and got all the spices so that we could come back and make the dry rubs and start rubbing the brisket and all of that stuff. So we're much better streamlined now. We do both work on the truck. Uh, We've each sent each other on events without the other. And I think that's, more stressful we do better when we're there together but we're also coming on year three where we need to grow we need to expand is there going to be another truck is one of us gonna you know go towards catering or go towards the retail line and we need to kind of find those people that will fill the roles that we're both so good at doing right now and make sure that we're not leaving the other one with someone who is 
inexperienced or yeah, or under par. Yeah, and that's interesting. So, I mean, you mentioned retail, and is is that to package some of your condiments and the uh, dry rubs that you guys are producing? Yeah, and uh, the the pickles is a big thing for me. My aunt taught me how to make pickles right before we launched this truck, and now we have, I think, 11 or 12 different recipes of things, including pickled blueberries, which I was really unsure about in the beginning, and they are spectacular. Uh, anything that you could want for a Bloody Mary bar, anything that you could want for a charcuterie board, you know, it's it's fun to play with those recipes. They They last a long time. They go over very well in the public. We have, I think, four different dry rubs, at least four different soup starter mixes, um, pesto, aioli, pimento cheese, two different kinds of pimento cheese and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely stuff that is very craft and very maker-oriented that I think would do well and might encourage people, you know, hey, I can make something from scratch, or if I have all the other ingredients, I can buy this one thing that I know was made locally and I know was made from scratch and I know exactly what's in it, and that's going to encourage the rest of my cooking to kind of go down that path. I love that you guys are exploring that. I also like that you mentioned the possibility of a second truck, um, but I know that it's a balance to grow. you got to sometimes pick one or the other, or and then sometimes things happen simultaneously, whether you want them to or not, um, in that instance. But that being said, so what are, I mean, what is your goals for the rest of the year? I mean, are you looking to actually get into retail, or are you looking into getting another truck and starting to weigh your guys' options? And is it something you feel you have to divide and conquer as business partners, or because you still have to run the day-to-day business operations. Right, yeah. If the retail, when the retail launches, it'll be during our off-season. Well, our, our slower season, there is no really off-season, but I'd like to take a, a line of products out on the festival circuit, you know, through through the fall and the winter and just see what kind of reaction we're getting, what kind of, you know, crowd we could essentially draw and that that would leave Jason here at home in Atlanta, which is another reason we need some solid employees. And I mean, we go back and forth between wanting a second truck and wanting to set the one we have on fire. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> any, any day you ask us, it could be different, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. And I mean, having an engine and, and when the engine goes down, the business goes down, that's one of the downfalls, but compared to a brick and mortar, you don't have all the overhead, I guess. So there's, a definite balance there and you can move with the crowds versus being stuck in one spot. So if one spot's slow here and there becomes slow, you can always up and move without having to move an entire business. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. That's not, not entirely true. Um, sure. There, there is benefits to having the truck and not the brick and mortar, but I mean, our rent for our commissary is close to $2,000 a month and our insurance you know, has to be pretty high because we travel with liquid propane and we have to pay a fee in every county that we go to, in every city that we go to, in every organized event that we go to. We have to have inspections six, seven, eight, nine times a year and all of that costs us money. So it's kind of, it's kind of a wash, I think. The only thing that we are lower on is labor and we're actually looking to increase that. So we may 
be kind of even with some of the smaller brick and mortars. Obviously, when you get into big corporate restaurants and stuff like that, it's a different ball of money. It's a different ball of responsibility. But we're we're kind of right there with any other small business as far as cost and our amount of paperwork. And we can't just pick up and go. In Atlanta, you can't do that. There is no right to park. You have to be invited to a location. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that, actually, or fully understand that, I guess, from um, when we had Running Latte on a few episodes ago. And because I, a lot of other places you could sort of move, and, and as long as you dictate, tell people where you're going, you can go there. I didn't realize Atlanta was more strict compared to other states or cities, I should say. And so what does that do for you guys? Do you feel that that restricts your ability to be maneuverable and pivot in your business? It does. And there's, of course, there's ups and downs to each of it. You know, the, the lots that are organized and that we do have permission letters for, you know, on a, on a pretty general basis, you can be sure that that's going to be a decent day or a real good day because it's been vetted. People have been there for a period of time or the owner of whatever corporate building sought us out and invited us because they knew that it would be, you know, somewhat profitable. And we require a guarantee when we go out that I'd say we get, we get approval for 80% of the time. It's a minimum sales guarantee that, you know, if, if our minimum is 800 and we sell that fantastic, everybody's good. Nothing else needs to be done. If we only bring 700, then the company that asked us to come out there is responsible for the balance. And that just makes sure that, we're not losing food every time. We're not losing money every time and that someone else has skin in the game. So if you're, if you're asking us to come out for your event, well then you need to market your event well to make sure that we meet a minimum sales requirement. I actually really like that. And um, I think that we haven't talked about the on this podcast at all, but I mean, you are taking your time, you're going out there. And if someone invited six food trucks to one event when they really only needed three, and then all of you fell short and spent your whole day, that would be a waste of time and a waste of money, particularly and obviously waste of money through waste of food. So um, so how do events come to you? Is it something that you guys have been now in the game for three years that people know who you are and they come to you? Is it something that you still have to search out? How does all of that work? And, and obviously both of you are involved in the 48 hours of prepping the food for three to five hours. So who manages all of that? Because both of you are obviously involved in the food. Who manages maintaining the customers and the clients and making sure uh, you continue to have book booked a full schedule? I do. I do most of the scheduling. There, there are a few event planners that still reach out to Jason. I mean, we each came to the table with you know different people that we knew, different industries that we could reach out to. I think at this point we're probably fifty fifty of returning events and me seeking out new places to go. We can always tap information from, you know, other people in our industry here that all of the food truckers in Atlanta, okay, maybe not all, but a good majority of everybody in our industry here is helpful and wants us all to be full and wants everybody to have good events so that we just grow the industry in general. And then it's a matter of, you know, going on festival websites, reaching out to companies that have a certain number of employees in their parking lot. And we also belong to two different organizations that work with the food trucks here in our legislation called FTAG, 
with the Food Truck Association of Georgia and the Atlanta Street Food Coalition. And they both, for our membership dues, they provide us with lots that have been approved by, you know, whichever city or the owner of the lot. And we can go sign up on those websites and make sure that we have enough to kind of fill in the holes in our schedule. And it's, it's really nice because the people on there can help you. You know, we all have different Facebook pages and different community groups that we can go to and say, hey, how was this this week? You know, oh, hey, I, our truck's down. I need somebody to cover me at this spot. And that just makes sure that we're putting forth the best, you know, the best example for our entire industry as far as the city goes. Yeah, and there's two points I love that you just said. One is is that even though you're obviously competitors as food trucks, but you're still friends because you know you need to cover each other's backs because it's best for the industry. And it's best for each other because you may need to cover for someone today and they mean to cover for you tomorrow. And there's that relationship there. And I think that's important in any business and people don't realize it. Um, Because people get so caught up in the competition or they might take my business that they don't have that relationship. But the second part is, is I love how we kind of talked about Atlanta has these harder rules and regulations that make it harder. But then there's these groups, um, I believe you said FTAG and the Street Food Coalition of Atlanta that sort of have figured out ways to maneuver around it and create these lots that make it easier for you guys to sort of maneuver in that space and guarantee business, but also attract consumers to these areas where they know food trucks are going to be there and sort of where you guys have a chance to thrive and consumers can come and get really good different food and have different options um, for food trucks. At least that's what I, that's what I'm understanding from you guys. Yeah. One of the things that the two organizations do is that when you're actually signing up for these particular lots that have been vetted, they also ensure that you don't have two of the same similar trucks that are out there. So now you're not really truly competing. You don't have like two burger trucks out there or two taco trucks out there at the same time that allows customers to see you know get a nice variety of things without actually seeing oh well there's two there's two ice cream trucks here great i mean you know it just allows more fair play and camaraderie uh, with everybody you know so you don't have people fighting over you know spaces and lots and things like that yeah I'd and like... they both maintain... go ahead sorry they, they both maintain websites that list all of our trucks, everyone who's a member of their organization. And so, yeah, if you're, if you're a person searching for food trucks, hopefully those two organizations come up in your search results and then you're able to see, you know, 35 to 50 trucks in the area instead of having to search everyone out individually. And it just, it helps us get more leads. It helps us get more clicks to our website. And the people running the organizations try and know you know, a, li- a little bit about each truck so that when someone contacts them, they can pass them along in the right direction. I think that's an amazing service. And to those two companies, I mean, it's amazing to find these niches within markets um, that are existing and to help people and to bring people together. So I think that's amazing. So what are some of the hardships then and things that you guys have learned the last three years and, and failures you've had that um, maybe have brought about successes or some of the failures you're still experienced that you just can't figure out? Well, on our very first day, we set the truck on fire and flooded the sinks. So, you know, there's that. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a good one. <laughs> we've had a uh, we've had a tire explosion on the highway, which blew apart the um, underside the the underside of the uh, propane tank. And then we had a which was really bad actually last spring we had a propane explosion on the truck while we were on it and i mean i i can only speak for myself but i think for jason as well like there's there's a bit of ptsd that's involved after something <laughs> like that i don't i don't want to laugh it off because for you know for some people it is very serious but it really kind of brought to light how how dangerous what we do is every day and to make sure that we're doing things properly and we're trying to set ourselves up for success by not rushing through our checklist, not rushing through, you know, the steps that we've designated so that we're doing things in the safest way and in the best way. And we've gone to events and paid incredible amounts of money and gone to events and gotten just nothing in return. And, and you have to realize that, you know, not every time is the time to panic. In fact, that's, pretty much never because you're going to get yourself out of whatever situation you're in more quickly and more effectively by staying as calm as you possibly can. Whether that's, you know, not killing an event organizer for lying to you and making sure that you lose money or grabbing your business partner by the front of his shirt and throwing him off the truck because he's on fire. <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll, I'm sure, is, is one of the things that has become apparent. I can't even imagine what that's like and the scariness of having a propane tank um, blow up on the yeah. truck while you guys are on it. I mean, I've seen grease fires on a, some, one of the trailers we had, and that was interesting. But never, I mean, we we're talking a totally different animal if a propane tank blows. Yeah, I mean, you, you you have to have a level head, and you, you can't react to anything in a in any negative way. You just have to be able to realize instant, instantaneously. All right, I got to throw this. I got to get everybody off the truck as quick as possible, and get everything shut down as quickly as possible before things go really wrong. It, it's just the way you handle it. It's the ability to handle things that can go dramatically wrong very quickly, very calmly, so that way it doesn't escalate, you know, into a bigger problem. So, you know, it's just having that ability to do that real quick. And that's one of those things, either you have it or you don't. And that's another way that we kind of make the perfect business partner because I was in EMS for a while and none of that triggers flight or fight for me initially. You know, it's all safety, get everybody off, whatever. And then both times when I realized it was propane, as soon as we were clear of the truck with the, the tire blowing up, blew up the propane as well. Luckily it didn't ignite. And then the actual explosion on the truck, once we were all clear of the truck, I lost my mind. I lost it. I, I wanted to run down the highway and get as far away as possible. And he just very calmly climbs under the truck, makes sure that both the propane tanks are turned off, you know, so we don't explode any further. And I just sat there thinking, huh, He's so much better at that than me. <laughs> I know. I, I would have been. Uh, that would have been a scary process. I can't imagine what was going through your mind. I was like, I know I've got to shut him off, but if there's any spark or anything, I don't want to like light myself on fire or be a victim. But what am I going to do? I got to save the business at the same time. So I I can only imagine what Jason was going through in his mind at that time. So um, I, I I wish I could do too because it was just all instinct. It wasn't like me. Stopping and thinking, oh, 
let's let's check all this stuff that I got to do off the list real quick. It's just you know a matter of okay, well let's just go turn off the gas. Okay, let's just get off everybody off the truck. <laughs> Uh, it's incredible. It's uh, not in a good way, but in a bad way. But at the same time, you have a new appreciation for things. So, I mean, obviously, is that something that you mentioned, the checklist? Is it is when you have things like ha- that happen like that, are they things that you go back to your checklist and say, maybe we should do this better or add this? And obviously, I, I mean, I would assume the answer is yes, but I'm going to ask the question, has your checklist grown since day one? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and the first day, like I said, you know, we, we had a small fire because his son had been on the truck right when we got it delivered and had turned all the knobs and we didn't know it. So when we first lit the propane, there was a, a good fire. Um, and, you know, we plugged the sinks and put the sanitizer tabs in them and moved away to do something else and completely forgot and flooded the sinks. And the tire and the explosion, uh, actually neither of them were our fault. They were both due to faulty equipment or faulty building. So that's, that's nothing that we had to change, but we do, I think, check and recheck, especially the propane much more. I wouldn't be on the truck when he lit it for the next probably four or five events. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, one day you're going to have to do this. I said, yeah, but today's not that day. <laughs> so we, so we, now we understand who the sacrificial lamb is in this, this part of the, the journey. He's the one who goes in for the dangerous things. <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. He has a better life insurance policy than I do. I guess it's probably a good time now to ask what you guys, each of you, like about the business and want to do more, what you love about what you do, and what are the things you don't like about it. Obviously, I, I l- running into a fire is probably not one of them. Well, that's probably a good question for each one of us because I think we have a different perspective on for each of us on that same question. So, I my favorite three things are actually cooking new recipes. You know, working through those hurdles, having people test things, uh, visiting the farms, and meeting new farmers in the area. It's like I said in year one, it was an incredibly time-consuming thing to drive out there and pick up everything but I was never mad when I got there I mean these these places are so beautiful and these people are so nice and they're so happy that you know another local company is is coming to them for supplies and I I love the big events and the big festivals and I hate paperwork as good as I am at it I hate social media and I hate how hard it is to find good reliable employees and and that makes another part of our job really differently. And I think Jason will flip-flop with me on a couple of those things because we tend to like the things that the other one doesn't. <laughs> uh, thing, you know, I like to basically just, you know, you're feeding good quality food to people. I mean, you don't get that most of the time when you're going out there. You're just feeding, you're just eating just to, just to eat real quick and get back to work. I mean, we're providing a service to where, you know, somebody can still have that same time frame of eating, but actually eating something good, you know, for once, instead of something that's been processed and been sitting in a freezer for, uh, you know, five years. Um, you know, being able to get around to these, um, I like the smaller events myself. I mean, you know, being able to talk to the customers more, get to know them, 
get to understand what they, they they're all about um, is what I like. And obviously getting out there and just, you know, seeing different places, you know, moving around the city, you know, we're going to Columbus. I mean, we're going to other areas within the state. Um, hopefully in the future we can go to other states once the truck's fully ready to do that. Um, I think the one of the things that I just, you know, don't like is, you know, it's the weather. I mean, you are subjected to weather. You can have a great event and it just be downpouring the entire day and you got to cancel and you got to figure out how, what you can save out of the prep that you've done for the day. I mean, and that's, that's a hard thing to do is look at the weather because in Georgia, if you don't like the weather, wait a day, it'll change. Um, you know, and that's the thing about Atlanta. Um, you know, it rains more than in Seattle does. Uh, you know, so you just have to be able to understand the weather and go, okay, well, here's these couple events coming up this week. What's the weather like? How are we going to be doing in these events if it rains? And sometimes we have to cancel because of that. It's, um, and just so the audience is, every time I've been in a rainstorm in Atlanta, Georgia, it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I mean, I've never seen so many raindrops per inch, I would say, is the only way I can describe it. It's like unbelievable. And the amount of water that builds up so quickly on the roads and everything like that, I mean, it just blows my mind. And And usually coming out of nowhere. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. And it's funny because in Colorado, um, we joke around about, you know, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little bit because it can go from snow to sun from 30 to 70 in the same day. It just happens here. But in Atlanta, it's um, it's kind of the same. You never know what you're going to get from day to day and, and moment to moment. And then the really the rain is just blows my mind how fast it comes in and how heavy it storms so quickly. And then it's over and you're like whoa you know so it's like you know and for for me it's like driving down the roads in a rainstorm in georgia is worse than driving in snow in my opinion i'm just like you can't see it's coming down hard you can't see in front of you it's it's ridiculously difficult yeah and if it snows here in atlanta everybody freaks out and goes buys all the bread and all the milk Yeah, we don't. We people don't freak out as much in uh, in Colorado. I wish they would freak out a little more because you'll always see the people that don't have the proper cars or tires on their car to deal with a snowstorm, and they block all the roads because they can't get up hills. And it's a it's an interesting thing. You've been in Colorado, you think you would know not to to do that, but nothing really closes here because of snow. So I guess there's that, and we can get snow, and then it'll be melted tomorrow. So the it's kind of different than the East coast where the snow kind of snows and then stays around for a couple of days or, or weeks, depending on the temperature. So, but not, exactly. not to get off on a tangent. So the other part I have a question about is, so are you, do you try to operate the truck seven days a week? We have gone back and forth from it. And during busy season, it'll, Maybe not necessarily be seven days a week, but we will have between seven and nine events a week. We'll double up on days that we know are profitable. Try to keep Sundays off, especially for Jason and his family, and just to have a day to, you know, knock it out of your pajamas until noon. Sometimes that that's what saves your mental sanity. But 
our very first winter, we tried to run a full schedule that December. I think I scheduled 23 events that December, and it ended up being so not profitable for us. So it's at this point, it's really a balance of, yeah, when, when can we be sure that we're going to have good weather? When do we know that, you know, people are out of school, we're going to have higher attendance at these nighttime neighborhood events and stuff like that, and that's when we'll double up. So hopefully we're not running seven days a week, but doing seven-plus events a week is very doable. Yeah, so how do you, let's talk a little bit more about it. You talked a little bit about managing families and as entrepreneurs. So how do you guys manage that? Do you, is it something you guys communicate with each other? Like, Hey, I have this going on. I need to do this. Or, I mean, it does take balance for any entrepreneur, but when you're a food truck and you're actually moving to different geographical locations and distances and things like that, how do you manage making sure you have time for your families? Uh, that's always, you know, a real difficult question to answer. I mean, it's just, you know, I have to go through and look, look at the next two months or three months and say, okay, I have, you know, this, this, and this going on these days, you know, if it happens to be on a busier event a day, then I'm just going to have to just try to suck it up. And, you know, I've got my wife there to, you know, help with, you know, family piece of it. So having that second person there to, you know, pick up where I can't, I can't do because we have to be at these, these busier times, you know, it's just something that you just have to be able to communicate with your significant other to make sure that, you know, you're both on the same page. I mean, yeah, we're human. We forget things. I forget to tell Carrie some things that are coming up and, Sometimes I forget to tell my significant other things. It's just being able to everybody work together for the common good. I mean, the business needs to thrive, but we also have our own lives that needs to thrive as well. And we're we're both lucky enough that both sets of our parents live nearby, and you know they're they're willing to help. But I don't have children. I don't have a family. That's that's not something that ever was on my plan. So I don't feel like I'm neglecting that in any way, but I did have to start, you know, sending the schedule, not only to Jason, but to my sister, his wife, so that she knows every time I update it and she'll send me notifications when, okay, well now our son has T-balls on Thursdays or, you know, these are the days that Jason has to drop the kids off in the mornings. And we just try and work around that. Some days Jason's down at the kitchen all day prepping because that is his day to do it where he doesn't have responsibility. And I may be just home doing computer work, scheduling or running off to do some shopping. And on those days I feel guilty that I'm not down there doing all of that with him, but we just have to go back and forth on when we can and make sure that we're not stretching ourselves too thin. I I can easily go down and prep from 10 PM to 3 AM if I have to, if, if that's what needs to be done for the truck. That's not something that I want to ask him to do. I don't want him to step away from his family like that. So we, we go back and forth when it gets into crunch time and busy season. Both of us are kind of there as much as possible full time. But, yeah, it's just talk to everybody, let everybody know, and make sure that we know what the, what the non-negotiables are, you know, that our families go away for spring break together. So they're going away and I'm going to stay here with the truck and see if we can make a little bit of money that week. And then 
I take a week off in July and go with my family. So it's, you have to sit down as an entrepreneur. You have to sit down and learn how to say no yeah. and not feel guilty about it because you will. And that was one of the, one of the things that everybody asked me, you know, what, what advice would you give to someone said, so just know that it's going to take more time than you think, no matter how much time you budget for it, it's going to take more. And you have to learn how to say no and not feel badly about it because if you're running yourself into the ground, if you're no longer happy with what you're doing, then you're not going to be passionate about it. You're not going to be putting out the best product or the best part of yourself that you possibly can. And that's, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do, but we're, we're both pretty good. We're, you know, we'll get back from an event and one time he'll tell me to go ahead and go and he's got the dishes. And the next time I'll make sure that he can get home to his family before the kids go to bed and I'll stay there and do the work. So it's, communication and making sure that you know where your limits are. And I, w I want to touch on two things that I, that you said that I think are really important for any entrepreneur. And I'm glad you said it. And I just want to repeat it because I think it's really important that it said again, the first part is the power of no, uh, in your life. Um, because it means that saying yes eventually means so much more as an entrepreneur. And sometimes we think that saying yes to every event or every opportunity or everything is what's best for a business. And I think it's really important. And I know even since I've started this podcast, because I am doing it voluntarily of my time, but I still have businesses to run and partnerships to maintain and my relationship with Deborah and my stepdaughters and my family that... I've had to learn the power of no all over again and managing my time a little bit better and not getting too caught up in social media and trying to promote things for the podcast and still making sure I get to meetings or don't overdo it with um, the podcast. I mean, there was a time I was recording like three a day, you know, a week straight. And I was, I'm like, oh my gosh. And because I'm so ambitious, but the reality is, is when I cut it back and I manage it a little bit better and I maybe only do it a couple of times a week, you know, I can manage it. I don't need to have all these things so I can manage it a little better. And I can say yes in a different way that works for me. And it feels better um, because I think that saying no sometimes in order to be there for the people that are in your life every day is an important thing. As an entrepreneur, we tend to at least a lot of entrepreneurs I've met tend to put so much time and effort into their business or in their entrepreneurship, they often um, neglect their family, for lack of a better term, and it costs you. And success is a well-rounded term, in my opinion. Um, it, success means your business and your home life and your friends and the way you do things. And you can't be successful if you put you don't have balance. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, the second part you mentioned was that you guys seem to work together and you have an understanding of what each other's personal lives are like and understanding of what each other's personal goals are like. So there doesn't seem to be any resentments. Um, you seem to be able to balance things pretty well. Would that be an accurate statement? On, on a general basis, yeah. I mean, and I think it, it goes for both of us, you know, on, on the days, I can't speak for him, but I'm sure on the days that Jason is down there doing all the things without me, you know, that must seem a little frustrating because when, when we do have to do things apart, when one of us is doing this and one of us is doing something else, you don't know what the other person is doing. 
every minute of the day. And so you, you can run around and feel like you're wearing yourself out and then just be like, well, God, you know, I'll, I'll be doing seven hours of computer work, which I hate, but it's just something that needs to be done for the business. And then I'll run out to the stores and I feel like I've just done all of this all day. I'm like, well, he, I'd rather have been down in the kitchen just prepping for five hours. You know, I think I would feel better about that. And then I realized that he's run around and picked up stuff on his way down there and he's doing dishes and making sure that our truck and our pot are, you know, up to snuff for um, all of the inspections and making sure like he's going out of town this week. So he's down prepping this week. I mean, sorry, he's going out of town next week. So he's prepping this week to make sure that I have all the proteins that I need to go do these events while he's gone. And that frees me up again to either take that kind of mental health day and, maybe step away from things for a minute because I know I'm going to be busy next week or, you know, do all of the other stuff that as much as I can get done now so that I'm not trying to double up too much again while he's gone. So if there is resentment, it's very short lived. And then I remember all of the things that he does that I don't like to do, like the permitting and the financing and the mechanics on the truck and stuff like that. And you just have to understand you don't know everybody's life. You don't know all of their day-to-day minutes. And as long as everything's getting done and nobody has stabbed each other in the neck, I think we're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, and I understand that, you know, she's on the computer and she's doing all the social media. She's writing contracts for customers and stuff like that. So, you know, I put that in the back of my head that, you know, she's not sitting around lounging, you know, watching soap operas all day long, um, which I know she hates, <laughs> you know, so I, I understand that. I just basically just, you know, I, I create like a little list of like, you know, all right, I got to get this done, this done, this done. And I just multitask as fast as I can humanly, humanly go. So that way my objective is to make sure that the truck is a hundred percent before I walk out that door. And to ensure that I have everything in its place so nothing can go wrong, you know, while I'm gone, you know, as much as I humanly can control, because I can't control what happens when I'm not there. But, you know, that's, that's the kind of goal that you need to have is to be able to communicate properly. You know, I let her know, all right, hey, listen, I did these five things today. So that way, if she happens to be thinking about it, even if she's not, at least it's now in her head that, okay, these things got done. I don't need to stress about them the next day, you know, and it just boils down to being able to communicate. I don't care if it's how small or how big it is. It still needs to be sometimes to be said. So that way the other person knows that this is what's happening for the day. And that's the way I view it. And so, I mean, that's it. So does there any, um, just out of curiosity, and I, I wonder if anyone in the audience is thinking, but does it cause any strain in, in you guys as sisters, Carrie, uh, since you're, you're pulling, I guess, her husband away on business ventures all the time? Or is she involved in the business and understanding, I guess, is my second part of the question. Do you involve your families in the business uh, side of it to help you out when you have employee issues and things like that? To to my knowledge, well, for, for our relationship, for my relationship with my sister, I don't think it has strained us. I can't speak for their marriage. Um, but she was actually instrumental in, in putting the two of us together. I know Jason was 
kind of wondering what his next step was going to be. I had a plan to go to Nashville and start flipping houses with some friends who own a real estate company. And she really encouraged him to approach me before I left and see if I wanted to do this. So she, I don't think any of the three of us knew exactly what we were getting into, but she, she knew, she knew what she was asking him if he wanted to do. And, you know, yeah, there's days when I'm sure she'd rather have him home, but I try and call every now and then and apologize for stealing him so much or, you know, scheduling nine events in four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they, when they first, you know, when, when this was first, you know, presented to me, you know, even her family was just like, I think we really think you need to sit down with Carrie and, and talk about this food truck. I think they asked me like five times and every time I was like, uh, no, <laughs> no. And, you know, I finally was able to just think about it myself. I was like, all right, let's really, before I keep saying no, let's, let's see what it's really all about. Cause I mean, I'm used to the restaurant business. I'm used to, you know, working crazy hours and, and strange days and things like that. So that to me wasn't really much of a heartache for me. It's just all the unknowns that I was, was really keeping me from really pulling the trigger until one day, you know, we were talking and it was just like, let's talk, yeah, let's sit down with Carrie and let's really kind of see what this thing's all about. And it was, I, I, I fell in love, with, you know, that first meeting. And I was like, let's do it. I don't care. Let's do it. I will pull whatever strings necessary to, to have this thing done. If you want to do it, then let's, let's go big or go home. And that's what I've said on day one is let's go big or go home. And that's kind of the way we looked at it. And and so that's a perfect segue question. If you guys could go back and tell your three years younger selves, you know, things that you wish you knew then that you know now, what would be, you know, three things each of you would tell yourselves uh, back three years ago when you first started this that you know now that you wish you would have known then? Um, I, I'll answer this one. Um, Terry, I think you're still thinking about it, but I think first one, I think, I would have loved to done have done more research on different things. Um, being able to know where to actually go to to look and ask, you know, find other trucks. Um, I would have loved to actually gone and actually worked on a truck before I started this to know what I was actually doing because it took me like the first year to really you know, get comfortable on what I was doing in that truck. I mean, it was, but you know, it was really, really hectic. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the things that I would probably have told myself three years ago is to, you know, stop research, go look at other trucks, go look at, do more research on other trucks, see where they go, ask questions. I mean, we did a little bit of that, but we, I feel like we should have done more of. And I, I had done, you know, my, my two, almost three years of research before. And so, yeah, he, like I said, he literally had that kind of 90 days of we, we decided to do it. And then the truck was delivered. So he was trying to smash all of his research into three months where I had been able to, you know, read books, take classes, talk to other people, go to events. Although when we got it delivered, neither of us had been on a food truck. So that I, I agree with him there that we both should have made an effort to, you know, at least pull a couple shifts with somebody. And, 
but looking back, I don't know that we even knew to suggest that because we had worked in so many kitchens and we were comfortable in so many kitchens and you just think one is like the other and that's not necessarily true, especially when you're trying to build it around your own menu and your own style. Um, but my, my main thing that I had to learn for myself um, was to not take everything so personally. You know, especially in starting your own business, you feel like you're putting all of this huge part of yourself into it and all this love and all this care and all this time that you are taking away from other things in your life that you might love and your family and your friends and everything. And then, you know, some someone smashes it down or leaves a nasty review or brings food back to the truck and says they don't like it and you have to really not take it personally, you know. Not everyone is going to be a fan. Not everyone is going to like the way that you do things. Not everyone is going to like you as people. And that has to be okay. There, There's room for so much in each industry that, you know, with, everybody's going to strive to find their, their perfect audience and their perfect niche. And we could serve a 1,000 people a day and, and 100 may not like anything that they get from us. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that what we're doing is bad. It doesn't mean that, you know, we aren't liked as a business. It's just something that's going to happen. And the quicker that you can kind of release that negativity or take the feedback and do something better, the quicker you can do either of those things, the more sleep you're going to get at night. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. And I know early in my entrepreneurial career, I was very sensitive to what people's feedbacks were or pushing back food or not liking a service or, or whatever it was in the various businesses I had. Cause I was, it's hard as an entrepreneur, we really put our heart and soul and energy into it. Um, and we want people to like it, but at the same time, I agree when you come to a realization that, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot. Some people are going to like it and some people aren't. And that's part of the risk of doing something. It's, it's a lot easier to, except it doesn't mean it's less hard sometimes because people can be pretty harsh, but it does mean that, um, you know, getting used to trying your best and that's what you're doing and understanding that and not everyone's going to like it. It it makes things a little bit easier as an entrepreneur. I wouldn't say it makes it fully easier and accepting because there are times people can definitely get under my skin, uh, and feedback or things they don't like. And, you know, it's, it makes it tough. And you're like, wait, I, this thing is awesome. Everyone likes it but you. And then, but it's hard. So um, I guess patience is a huge thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur. Now that we've just said that, I think, you know, patience is one. And then the weirdest thing of, you know, sometimes I want everyone to like it, but I get feedback that's not great, but it's what I need to hear because it pushes me to make the products better or just something that I need to do better and or my team and or Deborah or whoever and so I try to see opportunity in it now more than anything opportunity to grow and you know maybe everyone likes it so I don't need to change it but maybe there's something I can do slightly differently or validate what they're saying to um to do that so I'm not sure what that's like on a food truck but I just I can imagine that um it's probably more hyper because you only have so many items you produce at a food truck on a day so you know, getting an item back or having someone complain and need to give them a refund, it feels that much harder. 
And obviously you don't want them talking around the people around them and killing your business. So I'm not sure if that's a fear or what, or how does, how do you handle all that? I mean, that's, you're already trying to get food out the door out of like a fire hose pace sometimes. And then someone complains, how do you deal with that in the middle of, um, chaos, I guess, for like a better term. You kind of have to take it as a grain of salt. I mean, just like Harry said, is that not everybody's going to like your food. Not everybody is going to have the same, you know, enjoyment from your services. You really have to almost stop everything and just try to understand what the client wants as quickly as you can without making a big fiasco out of it and just find out exactly what they want. I mean, do they want a different sandwich? Do they want their money back? I mean, you know, not so much find out what they, what they didn't like about it because not everybody's going to like everything. Um, but just to, just, just to make sure that they still walk away with, you know, some positive outlook on your, on your business and just, you know, maybe they didn't like the grilled cheese. Hey, you know, let me make you a BLT instead. You know, find something else so that way they can get what they want, enjoyment, and and move on to the next person. You know, as cold as that may sound, that's just really what it boils down to be, in my mind. Well, and I agree and, with that, but I'm sorry. Go ahead, Carrie. And it's because we don't. You know, we're we're not a brick and mortar. We don't have quote unquote regulars, so to speak. You know, we, we do have some pretty loyal followers, which I think is amazing in a city this size that someone from Woodstock will come see us in downtown Atlanta. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not likely that even if, even if I can't do anything right at that moment to make that person happy, I can always give a refund. And that usually will mollify, you know, even the angriest of person. But it happens in little groups. I think just like everything else, you know, we'll go six months with having only positive feedback and then three events in a row. Uh, I've been very lucky that most of the negative feedback has been delivered personally to me by email and not blasted across social media or anything like that. So I will always respect that more and take the time to respond to that in a better way. And when they, when they happen in those little groups like that, you know, it seems to, like you said, you know, build up your frustration just a bit where you feel like, well, now this is this is three times in in two weeks. You know what am, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to look at? How can I reevaluate? And that's the times when you really really have to push yourself because success in those kind of situations lies on the other side of that fear. And if you can get past that, and if you you know a lot of things that we'll um, get negative feedback about is the price of some of the things on our menu. And people will, again, send me an email about it, or they can respond via the server that we use for our credit card transactions. And I'm happy to explain. I totally understand, you know, you may not be expecting to pay $10 for a BLT off of a food truck, but here's why. Because we source literally the best bacon we can find in Atlanta, and we make our own dry rubs, and we're getting fresh-made bread delivered per event. And, you know, our produce is more expensive because it's from a small farm in North Georgia, and Here's all the other stuff that goes into it. And 99% of the time, they respond, oh, my God, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to explain to me. I get it. You know, And I'll send a little $5 coupon with those response emails like, 
Hope you come try us again. I, re- I really thank you in the first place for giving a local business a shot. Yeah. So if we make you happier, if we can do something better, I want you to email me. I want you to tell me because otherwise I'm going to fall into that, you know, little swinging hammock and just kind of coast and I don't want to coast. I also don't want to get, you know, chewed out in the middle of an event, but I want to know what I can do better. So taking the five seconds, walking, I don't know how many times I've walked away from the window and just looked at the other people in the truck being like, this person needs to move, this person (laughs) needs to get out of the way, or I'm going to say something that I can't take back and take those five seconds, step away from the email for 30 minutes, let another employee deal with someone who's in your face and yelling at you because they're going to come at it fresh and you're going to have time to think about what it really is that you want to say and what the point is that you want to get across. Now we've had we've done events where you know it was chaotic out front and you know Carrie was just getting frustrated and this was in the beginning and what things one of the things again is great with us is that we can switch roles you know I got in the window and I had like everybody laughing and cheering and you know it, I called somebody's name and literally I had ten or fifteen people you know I signaled them to to say the name and I had 10 or 15 people yell that person's name because it was so crowded and so loud that they couldn't hear their name being called. So I had the audience actually interacting and getting into, you know, what was going on. So it's, it's, again, it's how you. (laughs) He asked me, you know, do you want to take the window back once we kind of got back on top of it? And I said, no, this is clearly your audience. You you keep doing what you're doing. I'll cook the food. We are good to go. It's amazing how that happens, actually, as partnerships. Some people sometimes, like I'm generally the one that does the public speaking and up in front of the audience or even the podcast. But there's been two times I've been so sick and Deborah stood up and done it, uh, you know, either the speech or, or or done the podcast for me. And I just do the intros and outros. And it's amazing what it feels like when a partner comes in and they, they help out and and it really feels like a team. And there's a little bit of magic there from working with each other and, and being team members. It's like when you're athletes in the team, you know, they have this perfect moment. So most of just gelling together where everything works out in a moment because you work together and it can be frustrating getting there. But I think that's pretty awesome that you guys just told that story. I like that a lot. And that um, Jason was able to step up and then, also, you know, just be able to find some symphony amongst the crowd and, and get them to work together and, and sort of, you know, work with it. Um, I have one more question I want to ask, um, and that is, we talked a little bit about it, but how did you go about, I want to go back because we started to talk about it, but how did you go about finding a place to get a food truck? Was it one that already existed? Did you fully customize it to your design? I mean, a lot of people don't understand the hardship that comes in the process to do it. And we've never talked about it on the podcast so far. So how did you guys go about that? Did you know someone? Did you buy a used one? I mean, what were your, your steps in, in going about it? That, that is, that's, we got lucky. Um, we, it's a lot of research. It's, it's a lot of, you know, running through Google, trying to find, we know we needed a truck, but didn't know if we should get one that was already pre-built and we just buy it and then try to 
you know, work around what the layout was at that time, or do we try to find a builder? It was just, it was like weeks of just trying to research and try to find what we were wanting to have. I mean, Carrie pretty much already had a set how the layout was going to actually be on the truck. <laughs> My five-year-old drawing sketch. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we just stumbled upon, you know, another uh, organizer who basically sent us to a builder. And we talked to the builder. We told him what we were wanting, what our concept was. I uh, found us a truck that was in Ohio that was used to be a textile delivery truck. Uh, we got, we bought the truck. We had it flatbedded from Ohio down to Miami, had them strip it all out and build it to our specifications. Uh, he would take videos and walk around FaceTiming us from, uh, almost every single day to every third day of showing what was being done, you know, what the progress was. And once, you know, that was all done, he had it all wrapped up. He put it back on a flatbed, drove it up to Atlanta, and dropped it off to us. And, yeah, I mean, anything that you're building, you're going to have heartache if it's a house or if it's a food truck. You're going to have things that it's going to go wrong. Um, and that's just kind of you have to understand that those things are going to happen. And you have to have the patience and understanding that these things do happen. And being able to correct them is is just what you have to be able to do. But I mean, that was a, that was a good process. It was a stressful process to get all that done. Especially to, to put it in someone's hands who is not here. You know, I, when I sent our builder, like I made this little sketch that looked like a five-year-old did it, but we had both worked in enough kitchens in our life that you know, equipment-wise, we knew kind of what we needed, and I just wanted to maximize the other space. And when I initially sent it to him, he came back with, oh, you know, we should do this instead, we should do this instead, we should put a fryer over here instead of a counter. I said, absolutely not. We don't want a fryer. We don't want that extra danger, that extra cleanup, and that's also not the kind of food that we're interested in putting out. And when he delivered it, I, I will give it to him. You know, he he may have just been trying to pat my ego, but he said once once they had finished doing the rough layout of it, and he stood on there, he said, "Yeah, it was it was one of the best design builds that he had seen." I think the only thing we would change is that our beverage store opens the wrong way, but <laughs> and it's it's just an annoyance. It's not it's not anything that prevents us from doing anything. It's just annoying. But those are little things that we didn't think to ask for. You know, I need a left side opening beverage cooler. Like, who would have thought of that? Well, on your next food truck, you'll definitely think of it. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, and anybody else we talk to. <laughs> and probably forget something else. You know, it's just how it goes. Well, and I just want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking the time and, and sharing your stories and, and coming on here. And I really like to have you guys on again, because part of what we're trying to do here is tell your continual story. And, and cause people like hearing it, not just through a glimpse, but through over time. And I think, you know, as we guys get you back on, I think everyone, including myself is going to be interested how the 
retail side is going to go and if you guys move closer to another truck because i think that's interesting and it's going to be an interesting journey from now until then and the things that you explore so again thank you guys for being on the podcast and hope you'll be back on oh yeah absolutely, absolutely. It was our pleasure. I, and thank you for having us because you know it's, it's things like this and you know people who are excited about your business and get you to talk about it that kind of gets the two of us to sit down and check in about a bunch of things. You know, you asked questions today that, you know, he and I are hearing each other's answers for the first time, and that gives us a better insight into each other. And now that we've taken a good look at it, it's kind of a good check-in to have every now and then and make sure that we are so passionate about it that things do actually work. Yeah, and any kind of business, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to want to quit, and you're going to want to, you know, the other person. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, this I feel really good about us sitting down here today, and now I can go into this week kind of amped up a little bit more, like you know, reignited, so to speak. Oh, that's good. And I, I guess we never got into what actually motivated you guys, but it sounds like you know, part of. I guess I'll just ask the question anyway. We don't need to cut off just yet. What does motivate you guys every day to get up and keep going and and do this? I think Jason touched on it earlier. It's, you know, to open people's eyes about how different food can taste when you're making it the way that we're making it and maybe open their eyes a little bit to see what exactly is around them. I mean, we've both worked some food challenges at our commissary and we've met grown people who have never cooked a meal for themselves. And I mean, every time I'm mind blown at this point, I shouldn't even be shocked, but he and I both do the majority of the cooking for ourselves and our families as well. And I cook for my parents and my roommates and I don't know that that's it for me is to, is to make sure that people understand what real food tastes like, what non-processed food tastes like, what you can do so easily with what's available to you right around your house. And if I, if I only get, you know, two positive responses to that or, a friend who's now taken a road trip and took a bunch of our dry rubs because they're living out of a tiny house and she wanted the smallest containers possible. That, that's what does it for me. I mean, as far as me, it's, it's, it's that and what Carrie has said, but it's also, you know, I have steak in it. I have, it's, it's, it's our own. I mean, I don't have to answer to really anybody else above me. Well, I tell my wife, and you know, at times, um, but you know, it's ours. It's 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 our like little you know baby that you, you want to say. I mean, you're growing it, you're moving it, you're 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 creating a value within the city, and it's just yours. It's the same way with any entrepreneurs. You want to have something of your own that you don't necessarily have to share with any other big wig in some other state to dictate to you what needs to be done for the day. It's you making those decisions. It's you failing. It's you growing that actually inspires to move forward with this and, and making sure that we are taking the corrective steps to ensure longevity within this business. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that point up because it just hammered home to me that I've become spoiled over the last three years that I didn't even keep considering that 
you know, I, I've just always knew from this point on with retail or getting another truck or something, the option for me to go back working for someone else is no longer there. That, that doesn't exist in my world. So I've forgotten what a blessing it is to be our own boss. And I just know that no matter, you know, where we are 10 years from now, that's, that's going to be my goal is to always be my own boss. I love that. And I, I, and I think a lot of people feel that way. At least I know I have. Once I learned being an entrepreneur as a kid, trying to go out and be in the work world for someone else, I only lasted about nine months before I was like, I'm done with this. I can't handle it. If I, I want to work where I reap my own rewards and I live and die by my own successes and failures. And so I think that's hugely important. But the second point I really want to make or the first point or most important point, however you want to look at it, is something you guys said. And we, you guys said it kind of nonchalantly, but it's something that most people don't even understand, is when dealing with a problem with customers or consumers, particularly in the food and beverage business, we tend to, or I would say many people tend to address the problem and try to solve the problem versus just trying to to say, okay, you know, I want you as a customer, how can I make this better? Not try to solve the problem they're having. You're not going to make the sandwich better or make the beverage better. They're just not going to like it. But the way you guys do it, you know, offer a coupon um, when someone doesn't like the price and answer their question about where the product comes from. I think that's important. And I think the other thing you said is, you know, okay, is it about the thing? Let's just do a refund. I'm not going to ask you why you don't like it. I'm not going to get too far into the details because then the person thinks, starts getting defensive and okay, well, this is my opinion. Why you do feel you just kind of, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's sort of, you know, the way you resolve the issues with the customer, I think is extremely healthy f for you as a business and for the customer, because it's really not getting into this contentious thing. And how dare you? I worked all day at, okay, you, that's okay. You don't like it. Let me just give you a refund or, okay, the price, I'll, here's a $5 coupon. And I don't want to encourage people to do this to you guys, because that would be awful. But where you explain it, you know, and, and I don't want to encourage bad habits or people to take advantage of it, but what I am saying is the way you guys handle it is just very healthy, in my opinion, for a business, at least in all the years I've been an entrepreneur, is that being able to resolve it, it doesn't need to be like, okay, we did this right and it's you who's wrong. Okay, well, the customer is always right. And if they're not, then, then you need to readdress the way you're handling things because you know, as a business for all of us, because guess what? At the end of the day, they, uh, they have to be right because we can't survive without them. And so no matter that's whether it is or isn't, go ahead. That, that, I'm so glad you brought up that phrase because that was something that I had to really take a deep look at when we decided to do this, because having been in the industry for so long and bartending, especially you are not always right. <laughs> And that's fine, but everybody is right in their own mind when they're having that thought and that feeling. And there's little or nothing that I can do to change that. So what I can do is diffuse the situation. And, I mean, don't, don't think that we're two spectacular people over here. We scream at each other in the truck or go back to the kitchen and, you know, air all of our grievances there where there's not 
guess the customers around. But yeah, the I think the the mindset of believing that wholeheartedly is a little troublesome because you're giving people too much power. Um, but to understand that, especially when someone is upset about something, how they are feeling and how they are thinking in their own head and their own heart is what is right for them right at that moment. So let's see how I can either change the moment or I can change the situation so that you no longer feel that way. And I think it really diffuses customers because you said something that you talked a little bit about gratitude, like, thank you for bringing this to my attention. And here's how I want to explain it to you. And, and there's a little bit of gratitude in them coming to you. So it kind of diffuses them right away in customers because, you know, they're being heard, they're being validated in that sense. So right from there, it's starting off successful. And, you know, it is, I mean, if a customer is willing to talk to you there, it is a grateful thing, grateful that they're supporting a local business, like you said, and grateful that they are coming to you in the first place. And I think gratitude is a powerful, powerful tool in business. And many, many, many people and entrepreneurs don't use it enough. And it's huge because when a customer is validated and you give them gratitude, I can't tell you the success that happens because of it, you know, and it's really well-rounded. And I was fortunate enough to have someone tell me it, you know, about 10 years ago and it really stuck with me. And it is one of those things that, Hey, thank you very much. I'm glad you came to me and told me this, this does help me. And if you see it as a growing opportunity, it is for me also. And so I really like that you brought that up as well. I was a, a junior Olympic volleyball coach for a number of years. And another coach gave me that uh, piece of advice to no matter why you're speaking to someone, to always start with something positive, especially with, you know, teenage girls. If, if I have to criticize them about something, if every time I approach them, I'm starting off with a criticism very quickly into that relationship, they're going to tune out and not want to hear what I'm saying. So I always started with, I saw that you tried really hard to do the thing that I've been asking you to do in practice. Hey, you got, you know, your first two serves over and it was great and it really picked up momentum for the team. And it, it translates so well to this business. You know, we'll, we'll get emails and requests for us to come out for events like, hey, can you guys come out and serve, you know, the 25 people at my office building? Uh, you know, we're not going to offer a guarantee, but everybody will buy food for themselves. And when I see that, I see uh, that's the possibility of us making $80, you know, and, and I can't do that. But every email that's a request for something, I start off with, thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you so much for taking the time to find us online and, you know, send a request. Unfortunately, I cannot commit to something like that. Here's some other trucks in the area that I know that might be able to do an event of that size, or here's an organization you can reach out to, and they'll pass that along to everybody else. Thank you for reaching out and letting us know that, you know, you've had that sandwich three times, and this time it wasn't so great. Maybe we need to double check our product that we have and make sure that everything is up to par. I've, and like you said, I've never gotten a negative response to something that I've started out that way. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's part of the reason I think that people listen to the podcast. They see how grateful people are or how grateful we are 
uh, for people being on. And I'm starting to see a lot of listeners, how grateful they are that you guys as entrepreneurs are willing to come on here and tell your stories and whether they're entrepreneurs or not, they seem to be so thankful for the impact it's having on their lives because they are changing things in their own lives that we can only learn as entrepreneurs that we're passing on and gratitude being a huge one in my opinion. And, um, so that being said, um, thank you guys again for, for coming on the podcast and willing to share your stories. And I look forward again to hearing more about it and anyone who's in the audience that likes the episode that likes what we're doing, obviously go try locomotion food truck, but also please share with other people their stories. Please share the podcast with other people. You never know when you're going to help someone again. Everyone comes on here and does it. There's nothing in it for them, but other than sharing their stories and promoting their businesses and Deborah and I do this for free. And so all we're trying to do is get the word out there, help people along, make the food, beverage and nutrition entrepreneur uh, world a better place. And so please share it. Please tell a friend Please tell someone about the podcast. That's all we ask. And that's all we ask for in return for doing it. So thank you, Jason and Carrie, again, for being on the podcast. And this is Justin, the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you want to be on the podcast, you can reach out to us on social media. If you got questions for Jason and Carrie, feel free to reach out to them on social media, direct message. I know Carrie responded to me when I direct messaged her about following up and being on the podcast. So that's an outlet for them. And if you want to book them or are, are curious about their menu, look online or direct messenger. Uh, I think that's probably a great start and everyone have a great day and thank you for tuning in.